challenges continue for print media and sports. Salt Lake City wants to be the next big sports hub, and things are not going smoothly for the Oakland A's in their move to Las Vegas. It's Thursday, January 25th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Los Angeles Times is laying off at least 115 people, over 20% of its staff, including substantial cuts to its sports section. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports Senior Writer Mike McCarthy. Welcome, Mike. Glad to be here, Owen. So, yeah, another dark day in in the sports media world and the media world generally. Um, is this just, uh, you know, the, the general story of print media and, you know, how, how the economics are changing and we're seeing the effects of that? Like a lot of people in this business, I'm sick to my stomach. Uh, I've been there myself, and my heart goes out to all these people at the LA Times and Sports Illustrated who are losing their jobs despite doing great work. Uh, it, it feels, Owen, like we're getting one of these stories every week. There's never any good news. It's nothing but cutbacks and slashes and private equity firms gutting you know, storied brands. Uh, It feels like we're railroad engineers in the 1950s wondering if anybody's going to actually fly planes to travel. And the answer is yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, people are consuming sports in sports media at, you know, at record rates. Uh, I mean, part of the story is people like us who who work in online media and providing a, a different perspective from your standard, you know, game stories, beat writers and all that. Um and so there's less space for, or you know, maybe maybe less attention toward your sort of standard sports media, maybe. Um, but also, I mean, this is also just kind of across the board in print media. It's not just in sports. So yeah, it's it's just been been tough to see. I think what we're seeing as a business model here is that the only way to survive is to carve out a niche, such as front office sports has done, or other publications have done. Uh, consumers don't want to pay for generic news anymore. The scores, the game highlights, they get it all for free. Uh, We can't go back in the time machine back to 2000 or 1995 when the internet was first growing and say, oh, nope, you got to pay for news. We let them get it for free for so long that now they just expect it to be free. Yeah, you know, I was talking about this with, with some folks on staff and we're saying, you know, can, can you believe that they're not going to have uh, a Dodgers beat writer traveling with the team in the year where they get Shohei Otani and they got this juggernaut of a team? At the same time, I was thinking, I don't read game stories anywhere near as often as I used to. You know, growing up, that's that was how I consumed written sports media was, you know, 90% of it was game stories. Um, Now there's so much out there that, you know, if there's a specific thing about that game, maybe I will, but I'm not saying like, oh, you know, the Knicks played, I'm going to go, you know, read up how they did. Maybe I'll watch the highlights. Maybe I'll like look at some analysis, but there's so many other options now. It's a good point. You're not waiting, you know, uh, like a kid I was in New York City, you know, waiting to wake up and read Dick Young's take on last night's Mets game. Uh, or Mike Lupica's. You know, those days are over. We get all the the highlights we need. We get the short highlights on TikTok. We get the long highlights on ESPN. You know, everybody moves on to the next things. You know, all the news is so disposable. I I wonder, quite frankly, uh, what the future of this business is. I, I think people have been waiting and hoping that billionaires would come in like a Bezos and save the day by buying beloved brands. 
But when you look at Sports Illustrated, I don't see any billionaires buying that uh, and treating it as a beloved brand. I see them treating it as a commodity that they could strip mine and squeeze every last cent out of. Yeah, I mean, the billionaires did come in. And yeah, you're absolutely right. They, you know, they, they treated it, you know, kind of like a hedge fund in a lot of cases where it would treat something like that, where it's like, yeah, whatever's making money, just do more of that. And not really caring about the quality, whereas the hope is they wouldn't care so much about the profits. But, you know, good luck with that. Um, let's hop over to a, a more pleasant topic, um, which most things are. Uh, so Doc Rivers um, is now is going to be the new coach of the, the Milwaukee Bucks, who are still in second place in the East. But, you know, that wasn't good enough for them. And so what does this mean? He's been an analyst with ESPN. Uh, what does this mean for ESPN's NBA coverage? Well, first of all, that was the shortest tenure for every any lead analyst I could think of in a long time. And does Doc even know where the restroom is at ESPN? I mean, the season is the season's two months old, and he's already going back to the NBA. But what, what I think it means is Doris's birth time has come. Uh, for years, we've been speculating that she would eventually move up to the number one NBA team, and she did. She moved up to the number one NBA team that will call the finals with um, – with Rivers and with Mike Green. Now, with Rivers out of the picture, they have a choice. Can they just go to a two-person booth with uh, Doris and Breen, or do they bring up a third person like a Richard Jefferson or a J.J. Redick? My sources are telling me, Owen, that ESPN is ready to you know, put pedal to the metal and go all the way with Doris, a two-person team, and she would make history as the first female analyst to call the NBA Finals on TV. All right. Well, looking forward to that. Mike McCarthy, always appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. The NHL has not announced any plans to expand, but that hasn't stopped the owners of the Utah Jazz from trying to bring a team to Salt Lake City. Smith Entertainment Group, run by Ryan and Ashley Smith, formally requested that the NHL add a team in Utah, which would share the Delta Center with the Jazz. The NHL acknowledged the request without committing to anything and also said that Commissioner Gary Bettman has been in touch with the Smiths for the last two years. Everyone talks about Vegas, but Salt Lake City is making its bid to be the next big sports hub. The Utah Royals, co-owned by Ryan Smith, are returning to the NWSL this year. The city is offering itself as an interim host of the Oakland A's while they build their next ballpark. And on Tuesday, the state Senate voted overwhelmingly in favor of a resolution supporting the notion of an MLB expansion team in Salt Lake. The city is likely to host the Winter Olympics in 2030 or 2034, which would involve constructing a new hockey arena, which could provide a dedicated home to an NHL team that happened to need one. The city could also be a landing spot for the Coyotes if they can't secure a new arena in Arizona. There will be a lot of cities vying for MLB and NHL clubs once those leagues get serious about expansion, but Salt Lake City is doing everything it can to show it's ready the moment the opportunity arises. Social media can be an emotionally unhealthy place for just about anyone, but that's especially true if you are a kicker in Buffalo who missed a field goal wide right at the end of a playoff game, which Tyler Bass did against the Chiefs, effectively ending the Bills season. Bass took down his social media accounts after he received death threats, and I don't know who needs to hear this, but that is despicable and no one should ever do that. Some fans, however, wanted to send Bass a different kind of message. People found out that Bass has a favorite charity, the 10 Lives Club, which rescues cats. A $22 donation to the 10 Lives Club became a signal of support for Bass, referencing the number two he wears on his jersey, and in the days following the bill's loss, the nonprofit has raised over $150,000. Just goes to show that people are better than internet trolls would have you believe, and also that this is a good time to adopt a cat. 
Up next, I spoke with former Miami Marlins president David Sampson on the future of local broadcasting and baseball, why the A's are having trouble coming up with funds to build a new stadium, and why team owners don't do a lot of media. That conversation is coming up next. I'm joined once again by the host of Nothing Personal, David Sampson. David Sampson. Welcome, David Sampson. How are you? Uh, doing great. How about yourself? I am great. It is a, uh, I was going to say, it's always a good time of year for sports business, and it really is. There is never a shortage of things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's get to one of the big headlines of, of the month, uh, which was the deal between Amazon and Diamond Sports Group, which allows Amazon to get its foot in the door as a local sports broadcaster, rescues DSG. How do you see this affecting the local sports media landscape going forward? Well, the leagues from the beginning have been trying to consolidate their digital rights and getting as many teams as possible in hand so they can do an MLS-type deal and go out to a streamer and sell all teams together. A, it's a way of additional revenue sharing in baseball, as an example, and B, it's a way to potentially make the sum greater than the parts. What Amazon is trying to do is go around Major League Baseball and do a deal directly with Diamond, but part of that deal is getting digital rights that Diamond has. I'm not so sure that the judge is going to allow it. If you, if you recall, the NBA and the NHL did a deal with Diamond so that those teams would have their rights fees paid for this year. However, at the end of this season, all digital rights and frankly, all the TV deals revert back to the teams and therefore those leagues will then have those digital rights. Part of the Amazon deal is that Amazon would be getting the digital rights to the diamond MLB teams, not for one year, for multiple years. So I would say that it is not a done deal and we don't know yet which teams Diamond will be able to pay, not just this year, but going forward. But we do know that what Amazon is doing is interesting in that you can see what their desire is, which is to get in the local streaming game, which means good for fans in that no blackouts and you can stream whatever game you want when you have Amazon Prime. Good for Amazon because people will be buying toilet paper with Amazon Prime and getting more and more live sports. But the question is, is this the best deal for the creditors as the judge evaluates whether or not to grant Amazon's wish to do this deal as part of its Chapter 11 reorg? Yeah, so I want to get to the kind of Amazon's future in media in a moment. But yeah, on on why this deal might not go through. So it is it like less that the you know NBA and NHL already had these deals in place and that would scuttle those more that you know that there are, are creditors who have to you know get paid through this bankruptcy and it's up to the judge to determine if this kind of fits that yeah, I mean, that's what a judge's role is in a chapter 11 is they're trying to figure out the best way to do two things. One, get creditors as much money as possible. And two, figure out if this company can be a going concern and therefore not be a candidate for another chapter 11, you know, a year from now or two years from now. And one thing that Amazon is not doing, nor Diamond with this deal, you're not slowing the rate of quote unquote cord cutting. You are not stopping the, the value of regional sports networks from decreasing, which clearly they are. So when you've got 
examples like Fenway Sports Group taking over for the Pirates and the Penguins, and you've got other teams who are now trying to buy back their own their their networks. The fact of the matter is that they're just not worth what they used to be worth. Another example is with the Orioles and the Nationals with Masson, all the fighting they did that's now done, believe it or not, for what the value of the rights were for the Nationals and the Orioles throughout you know the history of the Nationals since 05. The funny part is that now Masson as an asset that was given to the Orioles as part of losing their exclusivity in their home territory, the value of that, which MLB and Bud Selig thought would be infinity and beyond, is now not that. So there's a lot left to be done. I am not positive this will be approved by the judge. And I do know that MLB will not be standing in line to say, please, please accept the Amazon deal. They do not want this deal to go forward either. Right. And is that because they're just ready for Diamond to not be a thing anymore? Because I'm wondering if Amazon, in some shape or form going forward, could be a good partner for them for for these local rights. Well, of course. I mean, it'd be better to do a deal. You cut out the middleman. If MLB has all the digital rights and Amazon wants them, they get to sell as a package to Amazon direct. And that would certainly be advantageous. But when you think about what Netflix did with WWE, and I know that the CEO of Netflix or the president said, this doesn't change anything about our sports strategy, but that's a bunch of horse hockey. They just invested, you know, billions of dollars to get live events on a Monday night with the hope that it will increase subscribers and allow for ancillary uh, content, which is the rights that they do have as part of the WWE deal. So Netflix is getting into the sports game and the more companies that are bidders for rights, the better it is for the value of teams and the value of the rights that they're selling to this bigger pot of possible buyers. And is the overall pie, I mean, we keep hearing, and it's probably accurate, that we're just not going back to, you know, the the RSN days, the cable deals that we had. The teams are just pouring in money because you subscribe to cable because you like the Lifetime channel, but you're already, you know, that means you're also paying for your, your regional sports network. Um, are, are we ever going to see money coming into teams for local sports that we were in, like, 90s, early 2000s, or are those days over? So... I'm not a big fan of never say never, and I still have my corduroy pants in the closet because what goes around comes around. So I would never say that it's done, but I would certainly say the bubble has burst, and it's a bubble that was bursting, you know, it's 10 years ago when I was negotiating to redo a deal with Fox with our local rights in Miami. We were talking about cord cutting and the fact that their subs were going down, down, down. And that is true, and that is not going to stop. There are people who say that it's going to go down, down, and then it'll level off. And that will be the new normal for what, quote-unquote, subscription revenue is. But I'm not sure that I believe in that, because stagnation is not a thing in business. You're either getting bigger and better or getting smaller and worse. And uh, so I think that there is still a lot of interesting steps that will happen as this all sorts itself out, as much as I think there'll be consolidation in the streaming business, even more so than there has been. And when there's consolidation, change comes with that too. So I think we're like in the third inning of all of this. 
All right. Um, speaking of smaller and worse and maybe being in the third inning of all this, let's jump to the Oakland A's. There are some you know, unsubstantiated reports, but reports that the stadium deal in Vegas is in trouble because <laughs> uh, Fisher is having trouble raising funds because investors aren't so thrilled about you know buying into this whole situation. Uh, Bally's, which owns a lot they want to build on, is having their own financial issues. The team said they were building a retractable roof, but that might not fit on a nine-acre lot. That is what they have to work with. We said that on this show. The minute they put out, I just want to, sorry to interrupt you, but we said <laughs> yeah, it no, right on it. this show that when they did those renderings with nine acres, we said that they were absolutely ridiculous, that you could use them, use them literally as Amazon toilet paper. And it turns out we were right. And now the question is several fold. One, all stadium deals have problems until they're signed. And some stadium deals have problems even after they're signed. There is nothing signed in Vegas. There's no operating agreement. There's no construction agreement. There's no non-relocation agreement. They announced a joint venture for a, for a construction firm building. But guess what? What are they using? You can't get a real bid for the cost of a ballpark until you have documents, designs, construction, architects, we need to see these deals and they should all be public because when you do a deal for an operating agreement to operate the stadium, a construction agreement, when you do a deal with Bally's to, with the land, all of that in theory will become public once it's done and it has not been public, which means it's not done. In terms of John Fisher getting the money, I, it's not coming from the gap. It's not coming from family. What you do is you go to the capital markets to borrow money to put into a stadium. And when we went on our road show to raise money for our contribution to Marlins Park, we met with many banks, many sub banks, which means you have a lead bank and then a bunch of smaller banks that circle part of the investment. So if you're trying to raise 500 million, the main bank may do 200, but then you have to get a bunch of other banks for the other 300. So you have to market to them. To market to them, you have to have financial statements, pro formas, projections. And we haven't heard anything about A, what the team's doing in the interim period and them touring Sacramento doesn't count or Salt Lake City. That is, none of that matters to me. What are the financials of what they're doing in the interim period? And then reasonably, what do they expect in Vegas? And you can't give financials until you know the stadium. Can you imagine going to a bank and saying, we're going to draw 4 million people and they're going to have an average ticket price of $50. And then you say, well, what's the capacity of your stadium? And you say, oh, sorry, we don't have it designed yet. We're not quite sure. Well, what's your assumption on price for suites? So we can sort, that's what banks do. They test your projections. They test your financials. They have none of that available yet. So that's why they're having a hard time coming up with the money you can always borrow money from somebody without all the information, but then you've got usurious interest rates and that does not work in the daily operation of the team. So they could go to a bank and borrow money at 20% interest, but that you can't run a team that way. And even Goldman Sachs and whoever they're working with who's willing to potentially look the other way to the fact that nothing's done you have problems with interest rates and interest rates are higher now than they were when Oakland started this. So there's all sorts of things happening. So I think that, uh, I think we are still in the third inning of this and I have maintained that I'm not so sure this team is going to be able to move to Vegas. And I guess we'll just wait to see. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's a mess right now. Whatever happens, like, this is an embarrassment for for them and for MLB, I think. What do you make of the fact that they said they were going to put out renderings in December? Uh, we're now approaching February and no renderings. Uh, is that just part of the same messy picture here? Yeah, the reason why there are no renderings released is there's no renderings done because you can't do renderings if you don't know where you're building. That's the whole, that's the funny part. It's like buying somebody a bicycle before they know how to walk. I mean, you just, you, you can't do renderings and you certainly can't do a retractable roof on nine acres. And the money they got from the state is only good for that one Bally site. So if they have to go to a different site, they have to go back to the legislature for what I assume will be called SB 69 or something because SB one is taken and they'll have to figure out financing again. And believe me, they don't want to do that. And so until they have a deal with Bally's, until they know the exact amount of acres they're going to get from Bally's and what the agreement is with Bally's for that acre and who's going to run the stadium and operate it, et cetera, there's really nothing more to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like a slow motion car crash here. Um, let's jump over to um, a team that is in less of a mess, but their fans are not entirely thrilled. Boston Red Sox, their chairman, Tom Lerner, said the team was going full throttle. Those those were his words this offseason when they brought in Craig Breslow to be their president of baseball operations, uh, saying full throttle, you know, in a year where you've got Otani and Yamamoto. And, you know, it's actually kind of a weak class outside of those two. But um uh, but they have not gone full throttle. They've gone more like second gear. Um, should, is it bad choice of words or should the, the fans be legitimately mad here? I really don't like when owners speak because they don't workshop it well enough and it's not their thing. Obviously, what Tom said is not great. Sam Kennedy, a great guy, great president, but his quotes have been less than perfect, less than ideal. Here's my view of the Red Sox, and I've spoken about this on Nothing Personal many, many times. You have four rings since 04. You cannot call them a failed ownership group. Do they have other interests? Yeah, Liverpool, Roush Racing. I can go on and on. The, the Penguins. But guess what? It's not that they ignore the Red Sox. It's not that they're not signing Otani because they want to sign Mbappe in Liverpool. Those kind of exercises are not how a team is actually run. You are looking to see when you own a bunch of assets that each of the assets can exist on its own. You don't want to fund an underperforming asset in your portfolio with an overperforming asset because then you're sort of at zero. You want all your assets to be overperforming or at least neutral. And I'm not saying the Red Sox don't make money, but I will say that Nesson is not worth what it used to be. I will say that when you look at the Red Sox performance, it has not been great, which is impacting their ability to increase their gate revenue the way they thought they could in terms of the elasticity for ticket demands and ticket price. So my guess is they've not met their projections when they had long-term projections. So when they looked at 2024, they didn't think they'd be coming off a couple last place finishes. They assumed better, so they projected better. Then when it doesn't happen, you have to readjust your projections. It would be good if they would readjust their public commentary. You don't say full throttle because there's no reason to do it and it gets people lathered up. So I don't know that I would be telling you that the Red Sox owners are terrible because I won't say that. I may not necessarily like them all that much, but I'll tell you, you can't argue with four rings. What I will say is that from a business standpoint, the Red Sox are not the Dodgers. 
They are not the Yankees. They don't generate the type of money that those two teams generate. And just because a team doesn't sign some of these ridiculous contracts, that may make them smarter, not less smart. Yeah. All right. We'll have to leave it there. David Sampson, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Subscribe to the show and drop us a rating and review while you're at it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.